0: is the electricity, and he wants for that electricity himself to be able to flow through our lives with the least amount of resistance as possible so that our lives can be used by him for his glory. We also said last week that the way that God uh, brings this about, he makes us usable, is by breaking us of our self-life. That means breaking us of our self-reliance, our self-sufficiency, and instead training us to trust in him, lean on him for every aspect of life, okay? So that's kind of where we were at uh, last week. Um, what I want to do today is to take a look at an incident in the life of the Apostle Peter um, from Luke chapter 22. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. We're going to read here in just a second, Luke 22, verses 54 through 60. And on this particular occasion, um, it is Friday morning around 2 or 3 a.m., Jesus is standing trial in Caiaphas's house. Caiaphas is the high priest. Just earlier, five, six, seven hours earlier, Jesus had sat down with his disciples and shared the Last Supper. So this is just a few hours later after that, the Garden of Gethsemane incidents has taken place, and now Jesus is standing trial. So let's stand and read together Luke chapter 24, verses 54 through 60. Let's read these, um, this passage of Scripture together. Here we go. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, let's kind of walk through these verses. And what we're looking at here, again, is an example of the process that God takes us through in order that God can then use us on the backside of this experience, okay? So let's read about this. Luke chapter 22, verse 54, it says, Then seizing Jesus, the Jewish guards, they led Jesus away to the house of Caiaphas. He was the high priest, and Peter followed at a distance. Do you notice that Peter didn't follow Jesus closely? Peter didn't stay right up in there with Jesus. And the reason for that is Peter's thinking to himself, Laws of self-preservation, right? If I get in there with where Jesus is, I'm going to get swept up in this thing. I'm going to end up standing trial in Caiaphas' house alongside of him. And so Peter um, stays, it says, at a distance. Verse 55. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together, and Peter sat down with them. Remember, this is the middle of the night. This is like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, probably a little cold outside. Some people lit a fire out in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house, and they're all huddled around this fire. And while they're sitting around that fire, somebody recognizes Peter. Verse 56, a servant girl saw Peter, so he must have worked in the house of Caiaphas, and she looked at him closely and said, this man was with Jesus. I recognize this guy. He was traveling around with Jesus. He was a believer. He was a follower of him. And look at Peter's response. Verse 57, he says, lady, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. You got me confused with somebody else. Verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, hey, look, you're also one of them. You're one of his followers. You can deny it all you want, but I know that I saw you yesterday following Jesus around. That's what this guy's saying here. And again, Peter denies knowing Jesus. Look at verse 59. About an hour later, another person said, Certainly this fellow is with Jesus, for he is a Galilean. Remember, Jesus was from the region of Galilee. He says, Look, Peter, you're a Galilean too. You're from the same hometown as Jesus. We know that you're one of his followers. And Peter says, "The Set the record straight to dismiss all suspicion of himself. Peter finally says, Verse 60, Peter replied, Man, people... Right? It's kind of like he's, you can almost picture Peter standing up to his feet and announcing to everybody around the campfire, listen, I want to set the record straight here, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. And then the Bible says at that, that very moment, the rooster crowed. Now, if you know the story, you go back just a few hours earlier in this particular chapter of Luke 22, and Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples. And he shares with his disciples at the Last Supper, just a few hours before this incident of denial, he shares with the disciples what's going to happen to him over the course of this night. He says, what's going to happen is I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the Romans. I'm going to end up being, uh, my life's going to be taken, I'm going to be crucified on a cross. And you guys, talking to the 12 disciples, are all going to abandon me. Well, Peter, you know, he's, he's Peter, right? He's passionate. And he says, in response to that, he says, look at Luke 22, verse 33. It says, Lord, they may... They're going to abandon you. These other guys may abandon you, but I'm ready to go to prison. He said that just like four hours before he's sitting around the campfire. I'm ready to go. You count on me, Jesus. I'll go. They can lock me up for you, Jesus. He says, I'm not, not only am I ready to go to prison, not only am I ready to be arrested, he says, I'm not afraid of being sentenced to death. Just a couple hours. Just a couple hours before. And Jesus responded very gently, Peter, let me tell you what's going to happen. Verse 34, I appreciate your self-confidence. Let me tell you what's really going to happen here. Peter, before the rooster crows today, today, before the sun comes up, Peter, I know we're sitting here having this meal this evening, but before the sun comes up on the new day, you will have denied me three times. All right, go back to verse 61 in our story. Verse 61 so upon hearing that rooster crow, the Lord, Jesus, look, he's standing in Caiaphas's house. He's on trial. The candles are lit. They're seeing all gathered together. They're having debate. Maybe they're talking with Jesus, asking him different questions. People are bringing out witnesses. They're trying to do all this stuff to try and get Jesus to the cross. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus looks out a window. Maybe he can, there's a doorway or something, but he can see directly out into the courtyard of Caiaphas's house. And because he's God, he knows exactly where Peter is. And as soon as the rooster crows, it says he looks straight at Peter. You can imagine. I would have given you some goosebumps, right? Peter just all of a sudden, as soon as that rooster crows, and the Lord Jesus says, boom, locked eyeballs with him. And Peter remembered what the Lord had said to him. And then the text says, verse 62, Peter, having had this experience, recognizing just hours earlier, oh, I'll I'll go to prison, oh, they can kill me, they can take my life for you. And then a few hours later, he denies. Peter went out, it says, and he wept bitterly. I mean, in one swift moment, God shattered Peter. Peter was so utterly crushed, in fact, that he leaves the ministry. Uh, the gospel stories go on to record that Peter, he doesn't come and keep vigil at the cross. He just he goes and huddles into behind closed doors afraid of what's going to happen with the rest of the disciples. And then after that, he goes back to being a fisherman. And it says in John chapter 22 that Jesus then went and had to retrieve Peter and restore Peter and bring him back into the ministry. But that's how much this crushed Peter. He just didn't feel like he had anything that he could possibly do for the Lord again after this um, occasion. God brought him down to the very bottom, and the gospel ends with a broken Peter. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the conclusion, Peter is a broken man. But then a few months later, the book of Acts opens up, and some things have changed in Peter's demeanor, in Peter's outlook on things, and the book of Acts shows not a man of great bold personality, but that there's something very different going on in the life of Peter And that is that the self-sins, the self-sufficiency, the self-reliance, all those things, the self-confidence that Peter had, all of that has been brought down, and now Peter is trusting in God. And what we see in Peter through the book of Acts is now a man through whom the Spirit of God is flowing freely like that wire. And the electricity of God is flowing freely through his life, and he's lighting up the world for the Lord Jesus. But in order for that to happen, God had to waylay Peter. He had to throw a knockout punch at Peter. He had to shatter a blow to him that cracked the hard outer shell of Peter's heart. And this transformed him. And Peter was never, from this moment forward, was never the same. Never the same. Okay. Well, that's our text for today. And so that's our treatment of Peter in this particular story. And so that means it's time for us to ask our most important question. We ask it every week. What is our question? Okay, you've been to church here before. That's great. What difference does this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, that was Peter and Jesus and being, you know, I'm not looking to go to prison next week because I claim to be a Christian. So, I mean, what difference does any of this make to me? Well, that's a really good question. Let's see if we can answer that. Um, I want to pop up on the screen something that if you've been attending Hebron for a number of years, you've probably seen this before. If this is the first time, it's probably just been a while since I've shared this with you. Basically, what you're looking at here is a model of maturity. Let me explain it to you really quick. Um, There are six stages of maturity in this particular model. It starts with stage number one, which is called powerless. This is a person who feels like they don't know how to take the next step to get them out of the situation that they're in. Uh, this could be somebody who's in an abusive relationship. This could be somebody who has some sort of an addiction problem in their life. This could be somebody who just lacks the education and doesn't know how to go get the education they need to elevate their, you know, their situation. And so they feel powerless. And so that's the first stage of maturity. The uh, second stage of maturity is power by association. And let me explain that after I explain the third one. It'll make more sense to you. The third stage is what we call the arrived stage. This is a person who um, has all the outward symbols of success. They have, they've, they've, they've risen to the corner office. They've got the paycheck. They've got the car. They've got the house. They've got the bank account. They've got all the material trappings that the world would say, hey, look, here is a successful person. And so that's what we would call the arrive state. The number one character trait of somebody who is at the arrive state is that they have a big ego. So if they are like bedded down, die hard, arrive person, that's somebody who has a really big ego. The second stage is what we call the, uh, the uh, association. These are people who uh, will associate themselves with somebody who's at that arrived state. It's like, hey, look, I was at so-and-so hanging out with these people at such-and-such a place, and so by hanging out with such-and-such a person, then I get to feel like I'm somebody as well. And so this is typically what arrive state type people do. They're winners, and so they say, hey, look, hit your wagon to me, and you too can be successful like I am. Notice that that's one side of the maturity model. Do you see that? And you can see also that the one side of the maturity model climaxes with this arrived state. And that our culture, our materialistic culture, would say that the arrived state is, you know, the zenith of human experience. But the Bible says, Christianity says, Jesus says, hey, look, there's more to life than that. And so that's where we begin to move to the stage four, which is this reflection stage, which is where you begin to ask the ultimate questions of life. What on earth am I here for? What's my purpose in life? Is there something... That God wants me to do beyond just filling my bank account and, 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 and going on a trip someplace? Is there something that God wants to accomplish through my life that would make some of my life bigger than its parts? Kind of like the folks that went down to the barbecue help out at the homeless shelter yesterday. I mean, that's, that's saying, you know what, I'm going to pour out my life, pour out the time, pour out my energy, pour out my resources for the sake of someone else. And that's that reflection stage. begins to ask those questions. God, What are you leading me to? What do you want me to do with my life? And so a person who comes to that reflection stage begins to basically call into question stage three and say, look, there's got to be something more. As we begin to answer those questions of life, we move to stage five, and that's the purpose stage. That's when we begin to realize, okay, now I know what God wants me to do with my life. Now I know what God wants me to do with my resources, and we begin to pour ourselves out in that direction, and we have a profound sense of purpose, and the purpose is not me. It's others. And this is what Jesus did. He poured his life out for you and I. The sixth stage is what we call the gestalt stage. And this is the stage where a person, um, this is Mother Teresa. This is uh, the Billy Grahams, who, when you think of these individuals, they just elevate you. They call you away from the right side. Sorry. They call you away from the right side of that equation over to the other side. Just who they are. When you think about who they are, and this is is that high school football coach who loved you and believed in you and said your life can count for something. Uh, This is an aged grandmother. It doesn't have to be somebody famous. But that person who, when you think about them, you think about their life, they call you to live for something more than just you. That's what we think of when we think of this gestalt stage. All right, well, what does all this have to do with uh, Peter and, and that sort of thing? Well, it's... All of this is an example of God's plan for breaking us, for taking us through a bedrock event in our life to move to, and then that bedrock event calls into question all the things on the right side of that diagram that you see there. It calls all that into question and says, look, life is more than just materialism, it's more than just what we can get out of life, it's about what we can pour into others. And that bedrock event in Peter's life did exactly that. It kicks all the props out from underneath of us. It's one experience that leads us to the utter end of ourselves. It's one experience through which God shatters all of our self-reliance and our self-sufficiency. One experience through which God forever, forever alters our view of ourself forever alters our view of him and his purposes for us, forever alters our view of ministry and our ministry and what God wants to accomplish through our life. One, inf- one incidence in our life that forever shapes the trajectory for the rest. Now, we may or may not be obedient to what God's calling us to, but we will be changed in our perspective of how we move forward from that day on. It's not complete from this one experience, though. Our perspective, though, however, is forever changed. You know, God knows, friends, that if he strikes you at the point where you are strongest, the point where you are most confident, then all the rest of the props in your life are just going to come crashing down. And that's what God did with Peter. God hit Peter right where Peter thought he was the strongest, where Peter thought he was a stellar. Hey, look, all these other guys yeah you know, they may abandon you, but not me. I'm Peter. I'll go to jail with you. I'll even be sentenced to death for you. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen four or five hours from now. God hit him at the place where he felt he was the strongest, and as a result of that, it brought everything else down in Peter's life, brought him, stripped him down to bedrock. You see, if we are a christian God God's not trying to he's not trying to alter you like he's not trying to change the essential substance of you what god wants to do is he wants to take the raw material that you got and he wants to put that in the hands of the holy spirit and he wants to use then put you back together and use you for his purposes the problem with many of us is that our weaknesses as christians are really our strengths in this world that are being misused That is our strengths in this world that God gave us, our talents, our resources, our abilities, our skills, our passions, but those things have not been yielded to God, and therefore they're not being used by God, and therefore, from God's perspective, those things are our weaknesses. And so what God's trying to do is to take those things that we would see as our strengths, break us of ourselves, our self-life, and then God can use those strengths um, for his purposes. Y'all with me? Okie dokie. All right, so look. When God zeroes in on you, like God zeroed in on Peter, you better get ready, right? Because God goes, he doesn't mess around in things that don't matter anything to you. He doesn't mess around in the places where you're not, where you're not strong. Oh, well, I don't matter. It doesn't matter. Oh, get that. Don't go with that. God goes right after the jugular. You say, well, what method does God use? Well, just like a doctor doesn't prescribe the same medicine to all their patients, God doesn't use the same method with all of us. Some methods work better on some people, but they're ineffective on others. And so God will, will deal with you and I uniquely. Having said that, there's one constant that is common to all of our experiences of being broken, and that is that God's experience of breaking us always involves failure. Always. We're talking about human disappointment. We're talking about human pain. We're talking about human suffering. We're talking about setback and loss, and through that, God breaks us. Think about how God broke Moses. God didn't break Moses from 40 years of success in the house of Pharaoh, did he? No, God broke Moses through 40 years living on the backside of the desert. Think about Peter here. God didn't break Peter by sending him out and having successful ministry opportunities. God broke him through his failure. God broke Isaiah. Isaiah prided himself in being this great and holy man, right? He was kind of prudish even about it. Went around saying that he was, you know, he was a great guy until he met God, until God gave him a glimpse of his own holiness. And then Isaiah had something to compare himself to and Isaiah's response was, woe is me, Isaiah chapter 6, verse like 3 or 4. Woe is me, maybe verse 5. Don't quote me on it, right? Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. David, a great man of God. God didn't break him by giving him a bunch of success and a bunch of wealth. God broke him by his son usurping Absalom, absurd usurping David's role as king. David was kicked out of The kingdom, he was despised by his own people, and through that experience, God broke him. God broke the apostle Paul, not by giving Paul great ministry success, not not by giving him a bunch of fruit in his ministry, but by revealing himself to him, Paul was completely devastated and crushed by the fact that he had been playing for the New York Mets, and he was a Braves fan, right? And so God sent him into the desert as well for three months, and then he came back, and he spent three years in the city of Damascus in fruitless activity. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul in fruitless activity for three years? That's what God used to break him. Listen, all of their human failure, their human pain, their human disappointment had a glorious purpose. What God was trying to do was to get them to depend on him, not on themselves and their own talents and abilities. Friends, you will never learn to be broken by God through human success. It always comes through failure. One man said, Jesus is all you need until. Je- uh, bleh, I messed that. I won't mess that quote up. He said, Jesus is all you need. Yeah, that's right. Let me say it again. He said, Jesus is all you need, but you never learn that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. And that's why being broken by God and failure go hand in hand. Can't go any other way. Think about some of the giants of the faith. Let me kind of walk you back through some little bit of history lesson here. Think about some of the giants of the Christian faith. Think about Martin Luther, right? Martin Luther, the guy who's responsible for modern day Protestantism, responsible for the reason why we will show up in heaven someday with we are saved by grace through faith plus nothing else. You didn't believe there was any sort of religious works. You didn't believe the Bible taught that. And we see clearly that the Bible doesn't teach it. There's religious works that are response that are part of our earning God's favor or God's. Uh, acceptance of us, but rather it's through what Jesus did on the cross, that plus nothing else. Um, And so Martin Luther, we think, oh, well, you know, he's this great man of God, but did we know that Martin Luther spent a full year in a dank castle, cold, alone, with the entire continent of Europe, uh, searching for him, wanting to hang him? Uh, And and he had an emotional breakdown during that experience. He was so discouraged, he writes, many days that he couldn't even get out of bed for a full year. And that happened to him before he went out and turned the European continent upside down for Christ. How about John Wesley? We think of John Wesley and all that he accomplished in England, how he turned England upside down for Christ, how uh, the Methodist movement and everything that came out of John Wesley And we think about all the great things that this man accomplished, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people during his lifetime that were impacted for Christ. But do we realize that in 1735, that John Wesley came to this state, landed in Savannah, Georgia, as a missionary to the American Indians and to the American colonists, and that he failed miserably? In fact, so much so that he was chased out of Georgia, not by the Indians, but by the colonists. And he had to escape up into the Carolinas. Got on a boat, and he was devastated on his way back home uh, to England, wondering, "God, I, I guess I'm just a miserable failure." God broke John Wesley. Hudson Taylor. Think of him as the great missionary to China, great pioneer. But, that is not, but what's often not remembered is that at the age of 29, after being in China for six years, Hudson Taylor got so sick that he became an invalid. He had to return to England for five years, and for five years he was bedridden. For five years he was held back from his passion. For five years he was not allowed to get back to China, the thing he most wanted to do, and during that period in his life God broke him. But as a result of that, there are millions of people in China today in the underground church that know Christ and they're following Christ as a result of his obedience. But God had to break him first. <clears throat> some weeks we sing the song, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul, and that song has drawn comfort to millions. But do we realize that, uh, that Horatio G. Spafford, who wrote that song, lost four of his daughters at sea? Their ship went down, and some months later, he was sailing from America to, uh, back to England, And when they passed over the watery grave of his daughters, he wrote down, (laughs) it makes me cry when you think about it, he wrote down an envelope, it is well with my soul. Let me tell you about another great man of God. At the age of seven, this great man of God was forced to leave his home. Um, He had no work and no no way to support, his family had no way to support themselves. At the age of nine, while he was still a backward shy little boy, his mom died. At age 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. He wanted to go on to law school, but he couldn't afford it and didn't have the education that he needed to be able to get into law school. At age 23, he went into debt to purchase a business with another business partner. Three years later, his business partner died, and he was stuck with all the debts. He spent the next 10 years of his life, almost 10 years, trying to pay off all the debts that he had incurred from that. At the age of 28, after developing a romantic relationship for almost four years, he finally worked up the nerve to ask the young lady to marry him, and guess what she said? No. <laughs> Not only that, but he had been in love some years before that, before he had met this young lady, and the lady that he was in love with died. Broken-hearted. At age 37, on his third try, he was finally elected to Congress. Two years later, he was defeated. And then he had what we would call a nervous breakdown. At 41, his four-year-old son died. The next year, he was rejected as the land officer for the county. At 45, he ran again for the Senate and lost. Two years later, he ran for the vice presidency and lost. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost. At 51, he was elected the president of the United States of America. You know who that man was? Abraham Lincoln. Friends, Abraham Lincoln was vilified. He was hated by his friends and by his foes throughout his presidency. He was the subject of cartoons. He was the subject of jokes. I mean, nobody had respect for this man, especially during the opening years of his presidency. And we wonder where he got the strength to lead a nation through the civil war that we went through. You know where he got the strength, friend, from all of that failure. He learned to live his life trusting in the power of God and not in the power and the wisdom of men. I hope that what we shared here this morning gives you some perspective on what God may be doing in your life even now, or what you have experienced at some point in the past. Perhaps what I'm talking about here this morning sounds like I'm talking Martian. You're like, Gordon, I'm just happy to enjoy my life. And friends, you may go through your life and never have an experience like this. You may go through your life and, 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 and have a nice life and have some nice experiences. But friends, when you get to the end of your life and you haven't experienced something like this, kind of a breaking bedrock moment, your life will count for zip in the kingdom of God. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves and the, question, the prayer we need to be ready to pray is, Lord, if this is what's required for my life to count for you and for eternity, then, Lord, you break me. That is a dangerous, risky prayer to pray. What sane person right, would want to pray a prayer like that? Well, the Apostle Paul said, we are fools for Christ you know on the other side of this bedrock experience friends is a life that is used mightily for God the choice is ours let's pray Lord I'm sure Peter prayed that he wanted to be used mightily by you little did he know what was going to be required nor any of the saints down through the ages what was going to be required to bring them to a point where their lives no longer belonged to themselves, but that their lives were turned inside out for you and for your glory. Lord, as we gather around this table today, we are reminded again that you asked this of us and you were willing to do it yourself. You were willing to be broken on our behalf. And so God, perhaps we need to be broken. Perhaps we need a little breaking again to break us of our self-life, our self-sufficiency, our self-reliance. And learn again, Lord, to trust fully in you. God, give us the courage to pray this morning for one of these bedrock moments. It's not going to be easy. It'll be painful. But on the other side will emerge a person who will light up the world for Christ. Speak to us, we pray, Holy Spirit, in these quiet moments. In Christ's name.